Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelly Chopra. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey to value-based care and the ever-changing landscape of our healthcare industry. And that could not hold more true than the times we are in right now. Our goal in the series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations Leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. And before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and other questions that are top of your mind. With that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, managing partner here at Lumina and an industry thought leader for value-based care. Dan, welcome. Hi, Shelly. Good to be here this morning. Wonderful. Dan, our healthcare organizations, our hospitals and our provider-based organizations are working hard to adapt and navigate the current times with COVID-19. Well, fortunately, some of our states are seeing decline and stability. Most are seeing surge in COVID cases. All the while, our healthcare leaders are also challenged to prepare for fall and the anticipated second wave. It makes me think, what are some of the lessons learned from this collective journey this summer that can be leveraged as our hospitals prepare for fall? In particular, Dan, what comes to my mind is, how can we be more proactive from a quality and infectious disease perspective and manage the spread to patients with non-COVID symptoms and other high-risk areas such as our nursing homes, which have been hit so hard? What are your thoughts on that, Dan? From the spring, healthcare providers really learned a lot. They learned a lot in terms of not just how to manage the patients with COVID-19, but they really learned how to manage the non-COVID patients and to really make sure that we're treating the patients appropriately and really accommodating the needs of those patients with without COVID. And a lot of the provider organizations had to quickly pivot. You know, they pivoted with incorporating telehealth services. They had to really look at the data much more intensely than they have in the past. They've also had to consider treating patients differently in, an, say, an outpatient or ambulatory setting as opposed to an inpatient setting. So that, that pivot, that, you know, being able to adjust to the environment, I think was one huge lesson learned from a lot of the COVID activity. True. You know, I recently had some appointments with my healthcare providers and I was reflecting on it. In particular, our provider offices, our provider organizations are really under so much pressure to continually pivot with their minimal resources or sometimes even less resources as they have maybe furloughed some of the staff um, as they are navigating and shifting to treat the COVID and the non-COVID population, and the important role community engagement plays in the collective success of provider leaders and our hospitals there. So we've often talked about community engagement in the past as we've talked about value-based care, but we are living that right now, how um, us all successfully navigating these times require leaning in on resources, not only within your provider practice, but the community as well. Are you seeing that too, Dan? Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you, when I'm, when I'm talking to folks around the country, a lot of 
the healthcare leaders are really concerned about what the fall is going to look like. And of course, now that we're going through the summer, there's many states who are starting to see a surge. The mm-hmm. hospitals can't solve this problem on their own. They have to integrate with the community. They have to, you know, align with employers. They have to really reach out to community leaders to get a full comprehensive plan as to how we're going to take care of the patients with COVID-19 and really begin to manage the surge. I'm pleased today, Shelley, to have with us Dr. Michael Hill. Dr. Hill is an infectious disease specialist with St. Tammany Health System in Covington, Louisiana. Dr. Hill is the Chief Quality Officer and Vice President of Quality and Utilization Management. Dr. Hill has also been responsible for a lot of the COVID-19 activities in the New Orleans area and has done quite a bit of work with the hospital to prepare for their COVID-19 patients and treat a lot of them. So, Dr. Hill, very pleased to have you with us today. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be here. So, Dr. Hill, as we're moving through the summer months, you know, again, we're starting to see a bit of a spike in some of the COVID-19 cases. We're starting to see different trends occurring. How are things going in New Orleans? You and your providers, everybody doing okay down there? Yes, we're doing we're doing fine at the moment. Um, you know, it's been a journey and we're we're not over it. So you know, this started in March and we were really taken aback when this first started and it took a lot of coordination. There was a lot of fear, anxiety, planning. Uh, coordination in the hospital and with the community. We went into a stay-at-home order in March, and we had a lot of backpedaling to do to get PPE and make sure that our staff was safe, make sure that we had the capacity to take care of the surge of patients. And so we, we've learned a lot from that from that experience. Uh, we're now in a situation where we went through a lull, but as we in Louisiana went into phase two, we've had an uptick in cases, particularly among the younger folks who sort of thought that now things were okay and there were bars were open and there was a lot of social gatherings. We're a very social community, and we saw a significant uptick in cases. Uh, not not as much in the New Orleans area as opposed to the uh, Cadiana area, southwest Louisiana, the middle part of Louisiana, and that now is starting to also rise in our community. And we're seeing that going into the older population again, thankfully so far not in our nursing home population, which was really devastated in the initial surge in the in the spring months. So we're at a pause right now, or we were at a pause. We've sort of gotten our feet back on the ground, but we're seeing an increase in cases again. Currently today in the hospital, we're up to 22 COVID patients. We had been as low as four or five cases in the hospital when we were just in phase one coming out of a stay-at-home order. Um, we hit a high of 45 cases back in April, the first part of April. Um, and uh, we're now, again, sort of waiting for the next wave, and I guess it's it's here. I thought as an infectious disease physician we'd have a pause in the summer, uh, but it looks like as we've gone from the stay-at-home order to a more liberal social socialization, um, we have um, seen an increase in cases. 
So with the increase in cases, of course, there's a, there's more increase in testing. So you would think that there would be some increase in, in, in the cases. Are you seeing the severity increase or are there different cohorts of those cases that uh, maybe the younger population um, you are you see them at the same cutie level or risk level as those that are in the higher cohort you know the older cohort population or is there a difference in terms of how those particular age groups are reacting to COVID? Great question Dan. I think basically Anybody under the age of 30, we're not seeing in the hospital. We've seen a couple of very severe pediatric cases, but that is not the norm. Most children and young adults have asymptomatic or very minor symptoms with this COVID disease. We now know that it has a lot to do with uh, clotting mechanisms, uh, does affect breathing and uh, in the older individuals and respiratory failure is a big issue in those folks that are 65 and older. And it really goes with the comorbidities of diabetes, obesity, COPD, and immunosuppressed patients that are really the most vulnerable. And it really is an age factor and you can see the mortality and morbidity and hospitalization rate really increase in as the age goes up and really the highest cohort of those that are 80 and older and that was our nursing home population but your question is a good one in that the ambulatory setting now is what's seeing a lot of the patients that are walking in with little or minimal symptoms um, that may have had exposure and so it really has changed what we've seen we do have more testing right now our positivity rate as of today in our area is about 10.5% for PCR testing. Uh, so we still have a significant number of patients walking around. And because many of these patients are asymptomatic and have minimal or have minimal disease, they're not necessarily self-isolating and they're still in the community. We did just go into a mass requirement for the entire state of Louisiana. It just went into effect a couple of days ago, and hopefully that will help mitigate some of these increases in the next couple of weeks that we've seen in the state. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, and and I think many of the states have done that, and that's, you know, probably the best protection you can have because, as you said, you know, some of the younger population are asymptomatic. They may be carriers and not even realize that, you know, that they have the the disease. You know, one one point I want to touch on, which I think is an important one, for providers, you know, you mentioned the the more senior um, elderly cohort who are the higher groups that are at risk, and of course, you know, some of those are in nursing homes. Nursing homes and, and the mortality rate related to COVID nineteen of patients in the nursing homes was was quite high. That puts a lot of pressure on the hospitals. What are some of the things that you all have done to collaborate with your nursing homes? Um, are you providing a certain level of support? Uh, how are you communicating or sharing information with them? This is clearly has to be a uh, team effort to, to help resolve this and really to treat these patients. Can you share some of the insights that you all have been taking with some of your nursing home partners? Sure, Dan. 
So our nursing home and assisted living facilities really were very vulnerable, and we saw this early on. Uh, we had the uh, advantage of seeing what was going on in other places of the country, such as Seattle and in the Northeast, where they had some nursing home outbreaks very early. We had a nursing home outbreak in the um, on the South Shore at a facility uh, in New Orleans, and we saw that. That was right after Mardi Gras which was probably the single big, biggest event that really exploded the number of COVID cases in our area in the spring. We immediately started having daily conversations with our nursing homes in the area and gave them access to all of our experts in infectious diseases, in pulmonary critical care, in how to set up environmental care in the, in the area, and how to deal with the workforce that may bring the COVID into the nursing home or assisted care facility. And we really worked with them to answer their questions. I have to say at the time, they were really disadvantaged because we did not have testing early on. They did not have the necessary PPE that they needed, although that was taken care of relatively quickly. But they did come to the table and we started working with them as a community. And I think that's the important thing is that so many things happen outside of the four walls of the hospital and you really have to get involved with the community because that's going to affect your hospital in any type of pandemic. You've got to get out in front of community leaders. You have to get out to the population at large, but in particular, the most vulnerable population. And that's going to be our nursing home and assisted care patients that live in close quarters. Many of them have issues with wandering from room to room because of the dementia issue in these facilities. They really did have a struggle on their hands, but we worked with them and we continue to work with them today. We have weekly phone calls with them to address their concerns. We have a general meeting with them every week. And then we, we have individual phone calls with them because sometimes they have sensitive issues to discuss. You know, one of the key areas that you touched on was the collaboration with the community. You know, as I was talking to folks around the country and, you know, I have a, a couple of clients that are in the Northeast. And, of course, you know, they've gotten um, they were hit pretty hard with a lot of the COVID patients. The initial thought was that this was really an issue that the hospitals needed to resolve. So there was a lot of pressure on the hospitals to make sure they expanded the beds, take care of uh, the patients, begin to identify these patients and quickly, quickly treat. But I think as we start to reflect on what had occurred last spring, if we're going to be successful in the fall in managing this, this has to be a collaborative effort with the community, with the employers, with the nursing homes, like you said, and even with the schools, right, to really get in front of this and solve this issue. Have you had many conversations with, say, the communities or even the County Board of Health in your area? Yes, I have. Um, so we have been very active, and it really is a team effort. Uh, we have several people. I have a very good infection prevention staff here. We have very good medical leadership here and nursing leadership, and our C-suite has been very supportive. We do go out into the community. Um, we've talked, we've spoken with many of the community leaders. As you said, the schools are certainly a concern, and we've reached out to them and talked to them. 
we've reached out to the fire districts because they have their own particular issues with with folks that are cohorting in a very small space and you only need one case of COVID and you basically could wipe out a fire district immediately due to COVID. Same thing with, with the police and, and, uh, and our healthcare services outside of the hospital. So it really is important to um, really sit down and look at the particular needs of each of those um, groups and deal with their situation. The school situation is certainly going to be a challenge um, going forward. We're having a lot of meetings with schools. I know the CDC guidelines are coming out, um, and this is going to be a very fluid situation. And I think unlike a lot of things that we think about in life, you know, you think that you can write down the rules and this is the way it's going to be. This is a this thing changes from day to day and really minute to minute, and you have to be adjustable. You've got to take the information that is available, and it continues to evolve. And as an information evolves and as a situation evolves in the community, we've got to step up and be able to be nimble and adjust to what is going on in the needs of the community. Yeah, I agree. And really focus on the environmental preparation of how we need to live with the pandemic, frankly. And yeah. I can't help but think that, you know, if any employee, for instance, test positive for COVID-19, which, you know, many are going to, you know, obviously we're going to want to care for that patient, but there's also other questions that the employers are going to have, right? So, you know, for instance, what do I need to do to, to better protect my office, to pr better protect, you know, my employees, um, you know, in the future? What type of cleaning do we have to do? You know, that type of environmental preparation, I think, is is really important to not just, you know, protect employees who maybe don't have it yet, but really to instill a sense of confidence with the public, especially if those particular businesses have a, have a public facing front and are really, you know, for instance, you know, restaurants and so forth that are, are, are selling directly to the public, you have to instill that sense of confidence. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. Um, and it really is important that um, you really do promote a sense of confidence. We saw that in the hospital early on. Basically, patients stayed away from the hospital, and it was to their detriment because we had a lot of sick patients. A lot of things happened out in the community, and then they came in later on. I don't think we've yet seen what's happened in our community, not as a direct result of the COVID infection, but as a result of people staying away from the hospital because they thought it wasn't safe. And so we've been able to try to do the same thing. We instill the fact that we really have a dual role here. We've got to keep our patients that don't have COVID safe while taking care of COVID patients. And you're right, this is nothing, this is something that's going to be with us for a while. There is no magic bullet, even when the vaccine comes out, whenever that may be in the, in the near future, hopefully. This is still going to be with us for the next 6, 12, or even 18 months. I, I don't know. But we really do have to work to continue to exist with the pandemic and serve our customers. And we've got to do that with employers, too. So the two big things that you, you, you really focused on are safety of the workforce, because that's, that's vitally important. If you don't have your workforce, you're not going to have a business. And the second thing is instilling confidence in the customers that come in 
to the workforce that they're going to be safe. And that, that is really going to be paramount. So we've worked with them. One of the things that, that people forget about is air handling systems. And we have some great work that we've done in the hospital that we're able to bring out to the community on placing UV lights into the HVAC system, putting in the proper filters into the HVAC system, um, working with companies to um, process fresh air when possible, working with um, restaurants and um, and some of the other community settings on outdoor settings, even when it's 99 or 100 degrees outside, if you put the misters right and the fans right and things right, you can environmentally control this so that people aren't too uncomfortable sitting outside. And so there's a lot of things that we can do to work with facilities and give them the confidence to move forward. And the other thing I'll say is you have to be able to give them the opportunity to call you when something happens so you can talk through a situation. Because even though there, is, there are guidelines out there, I guarantee you when, as soon as you put out guidelines, you'll find a situation that falls in the cracks or doesn't really meet the guidelines, and somebody's going to want to talk about it. Yeah, and it's confusing too. I mean, to try to interpret some of those guidelines, right. you know, it's not, it's certainly not easy. Well, right. I'll tell you, I, I really think hospitals, hospitals have an opportunity right now, um, not just to treat the patients. Obviously, that's a, a big part of, of what their mission is. But in my mind, hospitals have a real opportunity to be the leader in informing, um, the community and, driving a lot of the activities around how we manage the COVID patients. And I think, you know, hospital take, hospitals taking that leadership role within the community is going to really place them in a brand new light. And it sounds like St. Tammany, you all have really done that in your community. Well, I think that, um, I think you're exactly right. One thing that this has proven to a lot of people are that we need hospitals, right? Because for a long time, when I've been in population health meetings and other things, we've kind of looked at hospitals as cost centers. Well, now people are looking at, this is the place I have to go to survive. If you don't have hospitals and I get really sick, who's going to take care of me? So it has put the hospitals as a needed part of the community, uh, and the community needs are really paramount. And I think that's really changed the, the conversations. People are starting to appreciate that, really, we need to keep our hospitals and we need to keep our hospitals um, flexible enough to take care of a surge of sick patients. And you're exactly right, Dan. I think that this gives us the opportunity to really take the leadership helm and people looking to us for guidance. You know, there's a lot of confusion out there. You can read every kind of study. You can read all sorts of things. And the, the lay public really gets confused. And what we have to do is take all of that information, try to sift through it, and really point to the important facts and say, look, there's a lot of noise out there, but let that noise go on. That's part of science. That's part of how we develop disease management, right? But it may not be ready for prime time. Let's talk about what is right now effective, and then we'll worry about the other stuff later as it develops. And that's where I think a lot of confusion now comes comes on. You know, we, we started out very early in the pandemic saying, really, you don't need to wear a mask. Yeah, you might need to wear a mask. Now we're saying you really should wear a mask. And that's just part of, of the way things evolve. This is a constant 
evolution of taking care of a disease. And I guarantee you, whatever we're saying today about caring for COVID is going to be probably very different in the next week to two to three months. And so I think we've got to give that message that this is going to be changing and we're going to try to stay at the forefront of this and give you the most, the best and most accurate information that we possibly can. The other thing I want to point out is we're very transparent with the community. We tell them exactly how many patients, COVID patients we have in the hospital, what we're doing to keep the rest of the patient population safe, what we're doing to keep our patients safe when they go into the ambulatory setting, and what we're doing for testing and other things. The other thing that we did with the community early on is we set up our own testing site that St. Tammany Health Systems put in place so that physicians had a place to refer patients for outpatient PCR testing. We felt like that was our duty to the community to provide that service. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I tell you, my big takeaway from all this is that hospitals are in a unique position to provide that level of objective information is, as you said, kind of weed through the noise for the public, but really instill that confidence. I think uh, that, that, you know, as well as treating patients with COVID, I think that's going to be a key, a key area to the, all of our success in helping us get through this. You know, a couple last questions before we wrap up. Um, although we're going through a little bit of a surge now, in the fall, many are fearful that we're going to see, an, you know, an increased surge in COVID, and then that combined with the flu and and some of the other, you know, potential illnesses that we may see in the fall could even exacerbate, you know, our our, our challenges right now. What are some of the things that you all are thinking about as you're preparing for the fall? Are you focusing a little bit more on the data? Are you taking um, other measures or other precautions or, you know, putting other solutions in place to maybe communicate with the, with the community a little bit more. Shed any light on some of the things that you all are preparing for? Sure. You, you mentioned it. Really what we're worried about in the fall is the confluence of several respiratory diseases that start picking up in the fall, like influenza, uh, respiratory syncytial virus in the young folks. And then, of course, we're still going to have covid uh, along with, with rhinoviruses, et cetera. And so a lot of these things are going to look the same, and we're going to have to figure out when a patient comes in, what do they have? So we're working very diligently on the testing so that we not only can test for COVID, but that we can test rapidly uh, with a reliable test, which is very important because not all of the tests that are out there are reliable but a reliable PCR test that'll, that'll, that will identify flu, RSV, and some of the other respiratory viruses that are going to be there. And it's got to be a rapid test that can be done quickly and so that you can make sure you know what the patient has and deal with the patient. The other thing I think that's important is that we um, really stress immunization and flu shots early this year. I think that that's going to be important. And I think this is just the the things that we've said for years that really are paramount now for infection prevention. If you're sick, stay home. You should self-isolate for any respiratory infection so that it doesn't spread throughout the community. So we've really got to get that public service message out again and continue to reiterate that to the community. I think putting in place a lot of those proactive measures, like you said, the testing is going to be key. I think 
the flu vaccinations this year are absolutely going to be key. And I think really looking at the data, I think understanding what patients are coming in to the hospital with or what they're seeing their providers for are going to be really important, as well as then that publicly available data, I think, is really going to be key as well. Well, listen, Dr. Hill, I I appreciate this. This was a great discussion today. Um, You know, any last comments or thoughts or advice you may give to our listeners before we wrap up and kind of move on? Yeah, I think one thing I'd like to say is take care of yourselves and take care of your workforce. I think it's very important um, that as we move along this continuum, we're going to have times when things get very difficult. And you've got to take time out each and every day for yourself, and you've got to make sure you take care of your staff. Um, This is not only a physically taxing toll that's on everybody, but it really is a mental taxation as well. And we really are focusing on our staff and making sure that we give them time off, that we have a place for them to go, a quiet room, that they can go back and reflect and take time away from the hustle and bustle of the hospital. And I think if we're going to be resilient and we're going to get through this, we really need to make sure that we focus on that on our workforce as well. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Great points. And, you know, on behalf of our whole team, I really want to thank you for all that you and, and your colleagues have done to, you know, fight the virus and take care of the patients and, you know, folks in the community down in Louisiana. I think it's, um, you're just doing some fantastic work. I really, I really do appreciate that. Um, well, thanks again, Dr. Hill. Great discussion today. Love to have you back sometime. I, I'm sure our listeners really appreciated this and, uh, we'll definitely talk with you again very soon. Thank you, Dan. Shelly, Dr. Hill brought up some great points. I think as we're starting to manage the, uh, you know, certainly the, the current surge that we're seeing here in the summer and then even in the fall, we have to be proactive. I'll tell you, healthcare providers are, they're in a unique yet challenging situation where they, you know, obviously we have to treat the patients with COVID, but we have to communicate. And one big takeaway that that Dr. Hill mentioned is being able to really inform yet be able to instill a sense of trust for patients. I think that's going to be so key. I could not agree more, Dan. I love the examples of community engagement Dr. Hill shared that have been, that they have been leading in the area, like weekly phone calls, meetings to drill downs on ways to collaborate with nursing homes, with employers, with fire districts law enforcement, and of course, schools, that's top of everybody's mind. You know, I I could not agree with him more that this really has to be a team effort in the community for us to collectively navigate and sustain through the current situations and prepare for what might come ahead. Because he's right, this is fluid, this is rapidly changing. So one of the things the hospitals and the, the provider leaders are finding themselves in a unique situation is, you know, at the leadership situation to really lead the charge in having objective discussions. So instilling and, and you know, leading the way with transparency, with adaptability, and the spirit of partnership is really, really important. So I so appreciate the work they are leading in Louisiana with all these such values, and I think there is a lot to be learned from there. Yeah, I I agree. And I think as hospitals 
start to move into the fall, the real leadership that they can provide in addition to treating these patients is really being able to communicate and really being able to form, being able to collaborate. And I think many mm-hmm. of our listeners will appreciate a lot of those insights as they start to incorporate those into their, their own organizations. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank our listeners to tuning into our Value-Based Care Insights podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners in the journey to value-based care. To learn more about us, visit us at LuminaHP.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And don't forget to leave us feedback. You can also find additional blogs, thought leadership on this topic and transcript of our podcast episode on our website, LuminaHP.com. Join us again next time as we continue to de- our deep dive into topics that are relevant in current times and bringing to you information and examples that you can leverage real time on how to navigate the current pandemic and prepare yourself for sustainability and success. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.